Good morning. It's truly encouraging to see you all here today. It's my prayer that the things that are said are not only edifying and uplifting, but beneficial. Today we're going to continue our series with prophecies of Psalms of Jesus, and we're going to look at Psalms 22. And I want to start by reading verses 1 through 5. For David writes, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and am not silent, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. And as we read Psalms 22, we not only learn that it talks about David's own distress and the Lord's deliverance of him, but it prophetically describes in detail Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection some 1,000 years before it happened. It's powerful. And what I want to look at today and start with is Christ's rejection by God. And it might be difficult for you to think that Christ was rejected by God, but in a sense that is very much the truth. And in Psalms 22.1, as it begins, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is a direct echo from the cross from Matthew 27, verse 46 and Mark 15, verse 34, where Jesus cried out on the ninth hour, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus was rejected by the Father in the sense that God allowed him to drink the full measure of pain, suffering, and death without intervening. And in Matthew 26, verse 53 and 54, Jesus said during his arrest, Do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? I don't know if you know, but in the Roman army, a legion was made up of 6,000 men. It is beyond comprehension what the power of over 72,000 angels would have had. But Jesus knew what needed to happen. And because of God's great love for humanity, as we learn in John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but, through the, through, uh, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, because of God's great love for humanity, divine justice was thus satisfied. And in Romans 3, verses 25 through 26, Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as propitiation by his blood, through faith... To demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over, <clears throat> God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Divine justice was thus satisfied, and mercy was extended to Adam's sinful family. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. What a magnificent plan. Amen? Amen. But brothers and sisters, the unfortunate truth is, is often because of the way we live our life and the sin that we have, we, in a sense, reject Christ, and we disconnect from God. And let's talk about the disconnection from God. And I want you to think about a time in your life where you might have been under great distress or trouble. Did, were you disconnected from God? 
What about David? David was told he would be king, but he still found himself running for his life. He didn't do anything to Saul. He was faithful to Saul, but his life was still threatened. I can only imagine at some point David felt a little disconnected from God. God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what about Jesus on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus felt this when he took on the sins of man. He felt forsaken, he felt abandoned, and he felt disconnected from God when the weight of everyone's sin rested heavily on his broken body. But why do you feel disconnected from God? I want to share with you some scripture from Romans chapter 8, verse 35 through 39, where we read, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor height, <clears throat> I'm sorry, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor pr things present, nor things to come, nor heights, nor depths, or any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord." See, the Bible tells you that nothing can separate you from God or his great love for you, and that God, most importantly, is always going to be there, but why can't you just stay connected? Why do we find ourselves disconnected from God? Perhaps you feel disconnected from God because you keep your life so busy that you don't make time for God. From the moment you open your eyes to the moment you close them at night, you fill your day with things like work, food, chores, friends, family, entertainment hobbies, or anything else you can add that fills up the entire day. But at what point do you make time for God, and how much time does God get in your day? Perhaps you might feel disconnected from God because you don't want God to be God. You see, if God was in control, you're not. And you feel disconnected from God because you're trying to do it on your own. In a better sense, you put God in the back seat while you drive and you turn our server and Lord into a glorified GPS. You want God to keep you away from any suffering, any pain, any hardships or sin without saying anything at all. But you never ask, where to, God? Or God, please take control of the will. You know, heaven sounds great, right? Let's go. I'll drive. I'll make sure we get there. But, you know, I'm only going to listen to you when I feel like it. That's often the mindset that we have or we find ourselves in. You know, God is not your GPS. God is not going to sit in the back and give you directions when the path you have chose is leading you nowhere. So if you want to stay connected to God and you want to get to where God wants you to go, you have to give God control. You have to put God first, whether you understand his plan or not. And let me tell you, that takes a great deal of trust and obedience. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced something like that in your lives, but I, I have. And when Matthew and Dylan were in Mexico, it was about a year into their th the three years that they were there, and I distinctly remember this day, I was sitting in front of the computer, and Laura and I had pretty much just sold everything we had of value, 
I was working so hard, all my effort, my time, my, my energy, just to find them and see them again. And that day, I'm sitting there, I just received an email from my attorney that gave me little to no hope that that would ever happen. And I remember the stress and the heaviness of that burden. And all I could think about was how all the things that I have done, that I have did, that I have sacrificed, I, 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 I was in control. And it was all done in vain. It wasn't getting me anywhere. But my focus was wrong. And I distinctly remember in that moment, I dropped to my knees and I tearfully prayed to God. And I said, God, take control, please. You see, but when I asked God to take control, I also was telling God that despite the outcome, I trust you. And I trust that it's best for everyone involved. It's not me. You know, perhaps you feel disconnected from God because you're just simply imperfect. We all sin, and that sin is what separates us from God. And Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. You see, it is your sin and your rejection of God that separates you from him, but you have to remember God is still there. He's not going anywhere. But it's the state of disconnect from God that causes you to isolate yourself and brings forth many heavy burdens on your life. <clears throat> I want to read you all a, a page from the United States Peace Corps manual. This is for the step-by-step -step process for the individuals that work in the Amazon jungle. And this is what to do if you come across an anaconda. An anaconda in the Amazon jungle can grow up to 35 feet in length and weigh up to 300 to 400 pounds. So you can imagine how frightening it is if you ever face one head on, right? Well, step one says, if you ever come across an anaconda, do not run because a snake is much faster than you are. Step two says, immediately lie flat on your back and with, put your arms tightly against your side and your feet and legs tightly together. Step three says, tuck your chin in. Now, here's where it gets real interesting. Step four says a snake will come and begin to nudge you and slither over you, but note, do not panic. <laughs> it gets better. Step five says after the snake has examined you, it will begin to swallow you from the feet end. You must allow the snake to swallow your feet and ankles, but again, note, do not panic. Now, six says the snake will now begin to suck your legs into its body. Yeah, that hits you over, huh? You must lie perfectly still that this is going to take a while, but you must allow the snake to do this. Now, seven, step seven says, once the snake has reached your knees, with as little movement as possible, take your knife and slide it into the side of the snake's mouth between your leg and rip upwards, freeing yourself and rendering the snake helpless. Step eight says, be sure you have a knife and be sure it's sharp. <laughs> I couldn't make this up. Now, honestly, I don't know about you, but that's a situation I want to get out of. It's hard to fathom that. But imagine this for a moment. You find yourself in that situation, but you must allow this snake to swallow you whole, knowing that you could possibly free yourself, but you can't. It gives me chills thinking about it. Can you feel the burden of that obligation? And what about the cross and the torment that Jesus faced, knowing the whole time he could get out of it, but he chose not to? 
God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Starts to make a little more sense. And the truth is, is that sin can swallow us whole, and the burdens and the heaviness that comes from the sin can often seem intolerable. But how do you go about dealing with the burden of your sin? Galatians chapter 6 is a great place to start. I'm going to read, Brethren, if a man is any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You see, brothers and sisters, what Galatians chapter 6 is telling us is that some burdens are meant to be shared. And in verse 1 says, if, a, if another Christian is overcome by sin, we are to step, humbly step in and help him get back on the right path. Now, that's a practical way to help someone out, but it requires a level of tact and humility, and you have to be able to put yourself in their shoes. And think about your life, and think about a time in your life where you are overcome by sin. Or perhaps you've been in a habit, or a bad habit that you were stuck in. Have you been there? I was there. And you begin to resent yourself, you begin to isolate yourself, you hate what you were doing, but you do it anyways. But it wouldn't have been wonderful if someone would have stepped in and helped you break that cycle of sin? You see, the power of sin comes from the secrecy and the shame. It shames you into keeping the secret, and you then isolate yourself. And you often pray to God for forgiveness, and you tell God, I'm going to do better next time, but you continue to live that same cycle of sin. And the power of the devil is to keep you in isolation, and the power of sin urges you to keep a secret. It's a double-edged sword. And the Bible tells us to help each other out. And I would encourage you all not to listen to sin's voice of secrecy and darkness, because when you're living a life of darkness, all you really want is for someone to find out what you've been doing, and to love you enough, and to value you enough, to grab you and put your life back on track. But the problem is, is that when you're living that life of sin, it's often the people that love you the most, they're the ones that turn their back on you. And that's not what Jesus, or how Jesus tells us to handle this. But I tell you, Jesus will never turn his back on you. He will not. And he says it best in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Where he says, come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, what Jesus was talking about here when he, when he was saying yoke was a piece of wood that was strapped onto a back of an oxen, and the way this wood was des designed, or this yoke was designed, was so that the stronger ox would take the brunt of the load, and the weaker ox would take the lighter part of the load. So what he's telling you is that if you allow him to come alongside of you, he'll take the heavy part, you'll get the lighter part, but in order for your load to be lightened, you have to be attached to Jesus. There's no other way. And in Psalm 55, verse 22, sums it up best. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. 
Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Can't be summed up any better than that. <clears throat> and in close today, I want to tell you a story. A story about Sally. Sally was a young woman that was burdened by her past sin, and she found herself living in isolation. And it was early fall. The leaves were still on the trees, and there was an exceptionally heavy snowstorm. And Sally's father, knowing the level of distress she was living under and the heartache, said, Sally, let's go for a drive. And while they were on their drive, he was pointing out the different trees, and he said, Sally, look at those elms, and look how the branches are so badly broken that the tree's probably going to die. But he said, look at those pines and evergreens and how they're not damaged by the storm whatsoever. He said, he said, Sally, I want to give you some advice. He says, there's two types of trees in the world. There are the foolish and the wise. He said, the elms hold their branches so rigid that when they get, when they get weighted down, they break and the tree dies. He says, but those pines and evergreens, when they're weighted down, they simply relax their branches and let the burden slip away. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? From Jesus, from his death to his resurrection, was all designed for a great purpose. And Jesus is here to help you with your burden, to help it slip away. And if you are not baptized into Christ, now is the time to get baptized. And if you're a Christian that's struggling with sin or heavy burden or might be living in that cycle, now is the time to come forward and let the power of prayer in Jesus Christ put your life back on track as we stand and sing the song of invitation.